Uh, Over the last few weeks, we've been in this series we've titled Full Length Mirror, Moving from Good Intentions to Transformation. We've been looking in the book of James together. So this morning, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, we're going to be starting to read today in verse number 13. So I'll let you turn to that. And while you're turning, I'm going to address like why we have this mirror on the stage every week. Uh, it, the, the idea behind this, this mirror is that a mirror shows me what I look like, right? I can agree on that. God's Word, like a mirror, shows me who I am. It shows me uh, the, the realities of that, the good and the bad, but it also shows me what I can be in Jesus Christ. It's what we call the gospel, the gospel that changes. That's that transformation that we talk about when we look into God's Word. But I want to push that illustration a step further today and say that some of us, from an external perspective, like we think we're pretty good to go, right? Like we think we, look, we don't look too bad when it comes to our behavior, the way that we present ourselves. You know, some of us, last time when we looked into James two weeks ago, the first part of James 3, where we looked at the tongue and how the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. And some of us were sitting there feeling very self-righteous in that day saying, like, I don't really actually have a problem with my tongue. Like, that's not really a thing for me. Like, I don't say bad things. I don't tear other people down with my words. I think you might be lying on that, but just saying, like, some of you sat there and said, I don't have that problem, and you felt pretty good. Now, check mark for the day, that one didn't apply to me, right? What are you doing? You're looking on the outside, but there's something much deeper going on, all right? Something much deeper, and we're going to look at that today. What we need to see God's Word at is not just a, as a mirror that reflects the outside components. I'm going to push it like, it's also like an x-ray, okay? It's like this crazy picture here, okay? I just lost some of you because I showed, I showed Spongebob on, in church or something. Um, but here's the thing, like, if only x-rays worked that way, right? Like, you just walk behind a screen, you know, and you can see everything. Like, what's the idea behind an x-ray? There's no radiologist here today, I imagine, right? Like, you want to see, oh, there is one. Oh, good job. Well, you can, you can attest to this. An x-ray shows me what? It shows me what's inside of the body. I mean, that's the whole idea behind it, right? Like, you see what's going on beneath the surface. You know, in my house, a few weeks ago, uh, we had an injury. It was about a month ago now. Uh, and and uh, I won't name the person who was injured, uh, but that individual had an accident, and the accident caused us to go to a radiologist. And, and, and that radiologist did an x-ray. Why? She needed to see what the extent of the injuries were, Right? And why did we need to know that information? So we can know how to treat it, how to fix it, right? That's what an x-ray does. It shows me what's beneath the surface, shows me what's wrong, and what, needs to, what it needs to change to make it right. So this morning, as we look again into God's Word, I'm praying that it will be uh, an x-ray of sorts that shows what's going on in the heart of me, that maybe when I maintain the outside parts, you know, there's still something more sinister going on on the inside. First Samuel 16, 7 says that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So as we look into his word this morning, this is God looking into the heart of man, like the center of who we are, seeing what is hiding in there. This morning we're going to look at that in relation to uh, wisdom, this idea of wisdom. You know, wisdom is uh, the correct application of knowledge, right? That's, it's applying what we know. Well, in God's Word, in this passage today, we're going to see two types of wisdom. A godly wisdom, and then what he calls an earthly wisdom or a natural wisdom. How do we know which one we are operating with? So I'm going to start today. I've got a pot up here with some, some soil in it. Any gardeners in here? Any people that grow things? Great. All right, I'm going to, you raised your hand. You made a mistake, so I'm going to come down to you. 
All right, hey, how are you? Uh, can you tell by looking at this plant, uh, at, this, at this pot, what I have planted in this pot? Why not? I thought you were a gardener. <laughs> Why can't you tell what's planted in this pot? Yeah, there's, there's seeds in the soil, okay? Like you, I mean, you sort of have to take my word for it, right? Like there is actually a seed in the soil. I think it was a bean seed. I just grabbed something out of the drawer. Um, but there's something planted in here. I don't even know what it is. That's the bad thing. There is a seed there. How will I know that it actually is a bean plant? When it comes out, right? And it produces beans, hopefully, right? If it's taken care of, like, you know what's in here by the fruit that it produces. And this morning, as we look at the idea of wisdom and what God has for us in James 3, I want you to remember this kind of theme this morning. The wisdom that I believe will be seen in the fruit that I leave, the wisdom that I believe will be seen in the fruit that I leave, right? That the fruit will, de- will, will demonstrate, will give evidence to the reality of my heart. What comes out of that? What, what wisdom I am subscribing to, whether that be godly wisdom or, or uh, earthly wisdom this morning. So if you will, turn to James chapter 3 and look at verse number 13. Read this with me. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works. In the meekness of wisdom. All right, so the first thing this morning as we look into that is godly wisdom is demonstrated through both behavioral consistency and a humble expectancy. Godly wisdom is demonstrated through both behavioral consistency and a humble expectancy. I think we need to flip a slide there, Mr. Alex. Thank you. There it is. Okay. All right. It's not just about... Behavioral consistency. Okay, let me, let's explain. Let's break this down a little bit. When he says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Right? When that first part of verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? I imagine in James' day when that epistle was read for the first time, there was some guy sitting on the front row that when he said, who is wise and understanding among you? He was like, who, me, me, yeah, that's me, got it. Like, look at me, look at the things that I have done. I've written so many books. You know, so many people come to me with their questions. Like, I am thought of as a wise and understanding person. He's like, got it right here. Call me out, you know, right? Let me help you out with something. And he's like, okay, by your good conduct, let, me show, let, us show, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom, right? So that good conduct part is like, yeah, cool. Like, behavioral consistency. I got the behavioral part down, right? I don't say curse words. You know, I'm kind to my mama. You know, I take care of my neighbors. I do all the right things, all right? Got that part down. But then he says, in the meekness of wisdom. In the meekness of wisdom. What is he going at with that? Well, this, this, behavioral, this behavioral conduct piece. You ever heard the phrase when someone says, don't listen to what someone says, watch what they do? A little personal proverb that we all sort of subscribe to, right? Because a lot of times we can, we can talk a big game. We can, we can build ourselves up pretty big. We can say all the right things, but then the actions sort of give maybe a different impression. You ever told someone, had someone that told you they were going to do something for you? Like, I'll take care of that. And you're like, okay, great. And then like two weeks later, you realize it still hasn't been done. So you pick up the phone. You're like, hey, are you going to take care of that? Yeah, yeah, I got it. You know, three months later, it's still not done, right? Like, that, they're not really, they're, their words are not matching up with the actions, right? There's no consistency in that. Their behavior doesn't match what they're saying. But he's, he's, James doesn't stop there saying it's just important for you to demonstrate wisdom in being good and doing the right things. And that's very important because some of us have this game. We can handle the outside stuff for the most part. Right? I go to church every Sunday. 
You know, I'm a pretty good person. We got that part down. But he's like, no, it's not just about what you do. It's also the way that you go about doing it. And that's when he says, showing his works in the meekness of wisdom. What does that mean? What does meekness look like? Uh, The definition of meekness came out of the ESV study Bible. I liked this one. It said, meekness comes not from cowardice or passivity, but rather from trusting God and therefore being set free from anxious self-promotion. Right? You catch that? Meekness is like it's being okay with God being in control. It's not a, a passive choice like, ah, I can't really make a decision. It's like, no, like I believe God's ways are superior than my ways. God's wisdom is superior than my wisdom. And so I'm surrendering my choices, my ways, my life to his plans. And that's a, choice, a conscious choice that I make. It's a deference. Right? This, is, this is about humble expectancy. That's the other part of that, right? Humility. I know my place before a holy God. I know who he says he is. He says that he's in control. He says that he's, he's good, his, that he has my interest at his heart, and he's leading me to do this. And so I'm going to, maybe that means I need, actually need to wait on him to, to lead me to show what I need to do, but I'm going to expect that he's going to get it done. It's a humble expectancy. It's not a drive to force something through. Do you ever do that? I've caught myself in that situation lots of times where I'm trying to force something to happen, right? I got it. I'm just, I just want you to make this happen. And if you don't, I'm going to do everything I can to push it through, right? That's not, that's not a humble expectancy that God is going to work. That's not a meekness. See, godly wisdom, the fruit of godly wisdom is demonstrated in someone that is meek, someone that is willing to, to, to wait on God to direct their steps, that's willing to say no to something that's going to lead them away from trusting God. A meekness and wisdom. Meekness comes from that position of deference. Meekness says, God knows what's best for me. God knows what I need. God has given me what I have for a reason. No mistake that God's word says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Right? Being content. That's a, that's a demonstration of, of that meekness at work. A humble expectancy that God is at work. It's not just about keeping the rules. It's about, it's about demonstrating good conduct. Yes, that shows that God is at work, but also it's waiting on his timing and trusting in his plan. That's the expectancy part of that. The problem is meekness doesn't really line up with our philosophy in our culture of what is best. Right? It's not a trait that's valued in our world, am I right? You know, we, we'd hear like the, the ideal person. If you're going to make something of yourself, if you're going to be successful, you've got to be loud and proud, right? Like get your plan out there. Make sure everyone knows it. Don't let anyone get in your way. You know, drown out the naysayers. You know, haters are going to hate, 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 right? Shut down the naysayers. Get your thing done. Sell yourself first. You know, we've got some salesmen in here probably, right? Like one of the first tips, and I'm not a good salesman, so maybe I shouldn't give tips on selling, right, Ned? But a good salesman tactic, right, is you sell yourself first before you sell your product. I get where you're coming from with that. Like no one's going to buy something from you if you don't seem like you actually know what you're selling, right? You don't actually know, have your own like stuff in order. So you have to sell yourself first. That's a general thought process of how we operate. Like, put yourself out there. Make sure everyone knows what you, who you are and what you're about. And if they can't get on board with it, then you don't have any time for them. Right? That's not exactly meek in that, is it? That's, that's elevating myself. We struggle to see how a conscious choice to refuse self-promotion could possibly lead to a better way of life. We struggle with that. 
This is the second thing this morning. Earthly wisdom or natural wisdom seeks elevation at the cost of everything else. Earthly wisdom seeks elevation at the cost of everything else. Look at verse number 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. You see what's naturally in our heart, the natural wisdom of man, the same natural wisdom that Adam and Eve you know, partook of at, at the beginning when they chose to elevate themselves over God in their wisdom. Right? We struggle with the same thing. He says this, this natural wisdom, this earthly wisdom, comes from, verse 14, this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. So what does he mean when he's talking about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? So what's, we know what jealousy is, right? Like it's wanting something that's not mine. Right? Wanting something that someone else has that I don't have. Like that, that's jealous, right? Like focusing on that, dwelling on that, desiring the, the, what I cannot have, or maybe what I feel entitled to have that someone else has. That's a jealousy that we have. But he uses that word bitter in front of that. It takes an even darker turn, right? This is a seething deep-rooted resentment in my heart. Not just that I don't have what that person has, but actually that resentment is transferred upon them. Like I resent them as a person because they have what I do not have. This is the difference in a bitter jealousy. It's not just like a a passing moment when you're driving down the street and and this guy comes up in a Ferrari beside you and look over there and you're like, oh man, like I so wish that were me, you know, like oh that guy has has it made, you know, that and then he drives off and you're like, well, back to my minivan, you know, like not talking about that. We're talking about like this is all you think about is how the world has wronged you. And how every other person that has what you don't have, a measure of success, a measure of power, a measure of influence, those people that have that what you don't have, they can all just fall off the face of the earth as far as you're concerned. You ever experienced that kind of a jealousy? It's like, it's like, a, like a cancer inside of you, right? And it's like putting out roots and tendrils, you know, just like it's seed, it's like a, a seed of, of bitter jealousy just... Underneath the surface, those roots are just spreading out and spreading out and spreading out. And eventually, that plant is going to break through, and they're going to see the fruit of all of that. It's not going to be able to hide it anymore. It doesn't just stay put. It grows. You know, and it grows and it grows. Bitter, bitter jealousy. It's a deep resentment of the heart toward anyone that has what I want. But if that wasn't bad enough, he says, look back in your heart as well. Selfish ambition. Selfish ambition in your hearts. What does he mean by that? So is ambition a bad thing? Survey. Is it, is it bad to, is, it, is ambition a bad thing in your opinion? What do you think? Yes or no? No one wants to answer. <laughs> it's not a trick question. No, it's not bad to have ambition, right? Like a, I'll give you a definition. Maybe you feel better about your answer here, okay? So this is a, the second president of the United States, John Adams. He said that he called ambition a passion for distinction. Okay, it's a passion for distinction. He said, every person is strongly actuated by a passion for distinction, a desire to be seen, heard, talked of, approved, and respected. Okay, those are good things. A desire to be distinct. Who gave us the desire to be distinct? 
creator God, right? He made each of us in his image, but the best part of that is, is he didn't make us all the same, right? He made you very different than me. He gave us different likes. He gave us different talents, different abilities, you know, different physical features, right? All manifestations of his glory, of his creativity, and how he made people. It's not wrong to, to want to value, like, God made me unique. I want people to see how I'm unique. That's not a bad thing to have ambition. You know, it's not a bad thing to want to win. It's not a bad thing to have a goal and to work towards it. Right, to, to see that distinction. And we call people that are driven, that have goals, what do we call them? Ambitious, right? We use that term. They're ambitious. They have a goal, and they're working towards it. They're internally motivated to realize that distinction. On the surface, not a bad thing, because all people want to be known uniquely as themselves. I would propose to you that there's two relational needs that every person has, two greatest relational needs that they have. The first one is that they need to know God for who he is, right? Can we agree on that one? They need to know who he is. They need to know themselves and, and, and before him. That's the first relational need they have. The second greatest relational need that people need to have is to be known by other people. I don't think it's any mistake that Jesus said that the two greatest commandments in which all the law and the prophets hung on were to love God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love who? Your neighbor as yourself. Like, we need to be known. And that's why we have life groups part and part in our, in our church here. We have that as a, as a way for people to be known as individuals, to be able to share the hopes that they have, to be able to share the things that they're struggling with, the dreams that they have, the things they want to pray about. That's so that you can be known as a person, because God values your individuality. God values the distinction, and we should do the same. It's not a bad thing to have that desire, to have that passion, but where that ambition gets unhealthy is when it's paired like it is in verse number 14. Well, that selfishness, selfish ambition in your hearts. Selfish ambition doesn't just say, I want to show you who I am. It says, I want to show you who I am and how you come up short in comparison at all costs. It's like it's not just enough to let you know this is me. <laughs> I was not quoting the greatest showman there. All right, it's this is me, and this is why you aren't as good as me, okay? And I'm going to do whatever it takes for you to realize that, for everyone to realize that. I'm going to be at the top. That's the selfish ambition. So you take that amalgam, and you take bitter jealousy over here, and you've got a recipe, a deadly recipe, right? Deadly fruit that's coming. What is the end result of that? Look at verse 16. Uh, excuse me, verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Look, there's some serious words that James is using there as it relates to this, this wisdom, a life that's governed by this earthly wisdom. Look at verse 15, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. Do you, do you gather from reading that that he's kind of like, this is not a good best practice for your life, all right? Like, I would suggest that you not, but, you know, you're your own person, do your own thing, you know? Live your own, find your own dreams, you know, every, every like, little Disney phrase you can throw in there, you know? Like, just, just, just keep trying until it happens, you know? No, he's not saying, like, it's a good suggestion, 
He's saying, like, no. It's like, if you, if you live your life according to those natural instincts of your heart and feed that jealousy, that bitter jealousy, and that selfish ambition, that's not going to lead you to God. It's not going to lead you to, to a close relationship to trust Him. It's going to lead you, it's going to kill you spiritually, and it's going to lead you to a place that He associates as, as demonic, right? The enemies of God. That's who I'm most closely representing when I'm following those passions, that passion for selfish ambition in my heart, are the enemies of God. And he says in verse 16, where those things exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. It brings chaos. You know, my thought is like, if I can just be more successful, if I can just get my ducks in a row... You know, no matter the cost, I'm going to get to a point where things are going to sort of line up and it's going to make sense. You know, it's going to be all worth it by the time I get to that. I might have to step on a few people along the way, but when I get to that point, it's all going to come together for me. But in reality, James is saying, no, you're inviting disorder into your life. And he says, every vile practice. Mark 8.36 says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I can spend the time I have on this earth accruing for my selfishness, for myself, and lose the very essence, the most important thing about me, which is that I'm made to know God. I'm made to bring Him glory and have relationship with Him. I can forfeit my own soul. Every vile practice, he says, come out of that. Is it, is it no surprise that you see oftentimes figures of people that have risen to prominent places of, of power and influence? who also have found themselves in serious moral issues, moral breakdown that goes along with it. So you get to the point where you fed that selfish ambition so much that you actually start to believe your own press. And you're like, I'm kind of untouchable. Like, look at all the things that I have done. Look at all the people that have validated my choices. You know, look at all the people that are, so, that are trying to be like me. Nothing, no rules apply to me. You know, I want to have this relationship with this woman that's not my wife. I can do that. Like moral compromise is just waiting there at the door, ready to, is crouching, right? Why? Because of that selfish ambition that's in my heart. James 1, 14 and 15, at the beginning of the series, we looked at this. It says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed, listen to this, by his own desire. Then that desire when it conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings what? Death. That, that desire, that desire, that, so then you know what that is? It's that selfish ambition. It's that selfish ambition. It tells me what I, what I deem wise is best. Right? What God has said does not apply to me, surely, in this situation, because look at all of the success, the influence, the power around me. You start to believe that own press, your own press, and then you can make those compromises. It's waiting. every vile practice. All right? We don't have to go into all the details of that. You can use your imagination. Every vile practice is open up to that. So when we're harboring bitter jealousy and unchecked selfish ambition, which, by the way, they're like, they're strange bedfellows because they feed one another. Right? You have that selfish ambition. You're like, I'm going to make something of myself at all costs. And when you can't achieve that, guess what comes up right behind it? There's that bitter jealousy. All right, it rises up behind it because you're like, they're, they're achieving what I should be achieving. 
And it just gets deeper and darker and more twisted as it goes, as it's fed. And that, that seed is going to grow into a plant that produces a deadly, deadly fruit. The natural wisdom, the, wis- the wisdom that seems most right to me, the way that seems right to a man, right, that Proverbs 16 says, it leads to death. It's going to lead to my spiritual, my physical, and my moral destruction if I live by that. So how do I know this morning if I'm driven by a selfish ambition or harboring bitter jealousy in my heart? We're going to do a little heart checkup this morning, okay? So I'm going to give you a list of things. And yes, there's, there are 12 things on this list, but we will go through them fast, okay? I promise you. And there's some things I want you, as you write these down, as you think about them, I want you to be doing a little check, all right? A little x-ray check on your heart this morning. Do these things apply to me? So how can I identify selfish ambition at work? or bitter jealousy in my heart this morning. First, my sense of worth is determined by what is available to me. Like first, like what opportunities I have. Right? Do, I, do I gather my sense of value based off of the opportunities that I have? You know, am I getting invitations to go speak at conferences? You know, do people want to, to read my articles that I post online? You know, I'm just giving like a sense, like what opportunities I have. Do people see me enough? Does that make you really excited when you know you've got lots of opportunities for that? And then when you don't have any opportunities, does it make you really depressed? Right? Is there a roller coaster at work based on that? That's what you need. And my sense of worth is determined by what is available. The second one, I have a hard time saying no you know, to new opportunities. You know, this might be my big break. You know, I'm sorry, honey. I know I was gone the last two weekends at trade shows. But this next one, I think this is going to be the one where I land the big clients. You understand, right? I know you've... You've taken care of the kids. You can hang in there one more time for me, right? Like, you ever talk like that? Is that a conversation in your house? This might be the next big thing. You have a hard time saying no. Number three, other people are objects to use or obstacles to avoid to you. Like, how can I leverage this relationship with this person to help me? That's your thir- first thought when you meet someone. It's kind of like, is this someone that's going to help me or get in my way? You have a little mental little checklist, right? Like, you're not any help to me, so this relationship is going nowhere. Right? I'm just going to go move on to someone else that's going to get me where I want to be. Objects to use or obstacles to avoid. Number four, I'm quick to take credit when I succeed, and I'm quick to shift blame when I don't, all right? I'm not going to take a raise of hands on this one. I bet this one applies to many of us, okay? Like, we're very happy to be like, oh, yes. I did that. <laughs> There's my name right there. You know? Did you see what I did? Wasn't it awesome? Can you give me a little feedback on that? You know? And then when something goes wrong, well, there's a lot of factors at work in this, okay? It couldn't possibly just be me. Right? That's, that's the thought process we go through. Right? Look for someone else to point to. Well, I think if you'd paired me up with someone that was more compatible with my working style, we would have got that like, knocked out of the park. But, you know, maybe next time. Quick to take credit. Quick to shift blame. Number five, the thought of failure keeps me awake at night. If this thing blows open tomorrow, you know, if I go into that meeting tomorrow with my boss, what is he going to say? Like, am I going to lose my job? Does that, like, send terror into you just to think about? Like, what if this all goes down? What if it all falls apart? Number six, I seek every possible way to promote my own personal brand. All right, any possible way I can draw attention to myself. You want to get a good, uh, a good view of what this looks like? 
uh, go visit LinkedIn, okay? I'm not, you guys know what LinkedIn is, right? Like it's, I, mean, it's, I know what it is. You're, connect, you're trying to make connections, business connections, and, uh, and that's good. But, man, if you want to go on and read about a lot of people talking about how great they are, that's a great place to go, okay? You find the best. Everyone is the best marketer that's ever been on LinkedIn. Right? Everyone is the best CPA that's ever been. Everyone's been the best, like, journalist. You can go on and read about it, and it's... And it's Kind of hard to read sometimes, you know? Uh, but how do you, how do you live like that outside of social media? Like you're just always trying to slip your name in there. Drop, that, drop the names of people that you know. Drop the connections. Oh, yeah, I know somebody over there. It's a good friend of mine. We play golf sometimes, you know? Just promoting yourself, elevating, right? Number seven, I'm actively critical of those I perceive as successful. Like I'm always like saying things about their character. Like someone's doing something that I perceive they're doing it well. I'm actually jealous but behind their back, I'm really critical, you know? Like that, you know, that guy I mentioned in the Ferrari that pulls up beside you? Like, you look over at him, and you're kind of like, yeah, that guy's got his priorities out of line, you know? It's like, he's got a, I mean, why did, he, why did he need the hate, you know? Like, that was just kind of a little bonus you threw in there. Why? Because you're jealous. You have a bitter jealousy, and it's changing you. Number eight, I find it difficult to give praise to others, especially those in my area of influence. This could be someone at work, someone else, a peer that, that does what you do, and you're, you find it difficult to give them credit for something that they've done well, because what what's that going to do to your standing? You know, I might lower it a little bit. Find it difficult to give praise. Number nine, I can't stop thinking about what comes next for me. You know, well, after I get this degree, then I should be eligible for this promotion, or I can pursue this degree, and when I have that, these people will respect me more, so that will lead to this and lead to this, and all you do is sit around thinking about what's the next phase that I can get to. Instead of finding contentment in where God has you right now, and what he's calling you to do now, you know, that, that's, that might be an indicator that there's a selfish ambition at work. Number 10, I'm always comparing myself to other people. Right? You're always measuring up, like when you, when you meet someone, you're always sizing them up to see, like, are they better than me? Do they know more than me? Are they more well-connected than I am? Number 11, winning comes first, and at the expense, oftentimes, of love. Right? I'm going to win no matter who gets hurt, who gets in the way, what relationships I, you know, I have to leave in my dust. I'm going to get there, right? and I'm going to get to that point no matter the cost. Selfish ambition. And number 12, I'm incredibly insecure and find it hard to trust others' motives. Have you seen this before in a leader? Again, a leader maybe that has a high capacity, a lot of influence. A lot of times they're super insecure, right? They're very careful about who they kind of let into that inner circle. Why? You know, because they feel like if I bring the wrong person around me, that could affect my elevation. That could affect my status. So they're very selective of that. Is that you? Are you selective of the, of the, the relationships, the people that you invest in? Because you, you don't want to be associated with that person. I don't want them to bring me down in any way. Do any of these ring true in your heart this morning as we look through that list? I don't want to take a survey. I think it might be depressing for us, right? How many of those we see present oftentimes? Because that's what comes most natural. That natural earthly wisdom tells me I've got to look out for me, first and foremost. The reality is we need an, an ambition that needs, we need a, a redeemed ambition. 
an ambition that's not going to destroy me, that's not chaotic, that's going to lead me to something else. Remember that we said at the beginning, the wisdom I believe will be seen in the fruit that I leave. When that earthly wisdom governs a selfish ambition, you know what fruit it gives? It gives deadly fruit. It's already said, right? It leads to my destruction. It leads to disorder. It leads to every vile practice. You'll be willing to compromise yourself morally, ethically, because you are following that selfish ambition, and it's going to destroy you. We need a new wisdom. We need a new ambition. That is why, and we say this every single week in this church, that's why we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. God realizes what comes natural to us is strong, and it's hard to resist, but he also knows what the end of that is, and he says, no, I'm going to send my son to pay for that sin, to redeem that ambition, to redeem that wisdom, if you would trust in him. And he restores us, not just gives us life eternal someday to look forward to, but an abundant life now, a life that is changing in this time together on this earth. He's promised to restore and redeem that ambition and that wisdom as we submit to him. And this is the last thing this morning. Godly wisdom produces peace from a holy ambition. Godly wisdom produces peace from a holy ambition. These selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, produces deadly fruit, destructive, chaotic, disorder. Godly wisdom produces peace. Let's look at verse number 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That wisdom that's from above, that's a reference right back to James chapter 1 again, where God said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, because he giveth to all freely. Right? That wisdom that comes from above, it starts with what? Purity. Nothing is going to come from God that's not attached to the pureness of his nature. It's going to start there. Pure motives, a pure heart, a pure morality. This is, this is evidence of a godly wisdom, that God is at work in me. Peaceable, you know, seeking to restore what has been broken, not only in, in, in understanding that because God has made me alive and new in Christ, but like seeking to be a messenger, an, an ambassador of peace in a broken world. That's evidence of godly wisdom at work in my life. Gentle, I'm patient with people. People are not objects that I can step on or avoid to get to where I want to go. I realize that every single person is made in the image of God. They are image bearers like I am, and they are worth my time. They're worth my investment. Even if they can't pick up things as quickly as I would like them to, it's worth me taking time to help them. That's being peaceable. That's being gentle. Open to reason. I'd like to say that as teachable. And one of the characteristics we look for in volunteer leaders in student ministry, we're looking for faithful, available, teachable leaders, fat leaders. (laughs) What does it mean to be teachable? You come in there and you don't know everything already. That's the point, right? That's what that that expectant humility looks like, right? It's like, I don't know everything. And I'm cool with that because I know the Lord. It's his wisdom. I I trust that if he's called me to do this, he's going to give me the wisdom to understand how to get the job done. It's teachable. It's evidence of, of, a, of a spirit, of a godly, of godly wisdom at work in me, full of mercy and good fruits. 
I'm always ready to exchange good for evil. That's a hard one to do. You can't do that naturally. And when, when evil is given to me, I want to lash out, right? I want to give them what they deserve. But mercy says no to that. Mercy says, you meant this for evil, but I'm going to give you good. Impartial. Don't play favorites. Right? I don't have favorites. I don't have a list of people that I'll associate with because they're going to elevate me and ignore this group of people over here. Jesus said to love my neighbor. That means everybody. I'm impartial and sincere. There's no doubt where I stand. You don't have to worry if I say something, does he really mean that? People know, like, no, that's what he said. That's what he means. He's sincere. These are evidence of a holy ambition. This eliminates a selfish ambition. It's not me, but Christ at work in me. My identity is not in my success. It's what Jesus afforded me on the cross. My, my, any victories I have are because of what Christ has done, and my purpose is for Christ. See how that's transformed? It's no longer about getting ahead and doing whatever I can to get ahead. It's about following. It's about following where he leads. And what does that lead to? Verse 18, a harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's this holy ambition. I want to read you this quote from John Piper. Holy ambition is something that you really want to do that God wants you to do. Something you want to do so much that doing it keeps you from doing other things that you also really like to do. I love that. Right? This is an ambition that, that, looks, that looks outside of myself. says, God, what would you have me do in my job, in my family? How would you want me to lead my children and teach them about you? What would you have me do in this situation that's in my life, God? And waiting for him expectantly to deliver that. And then when he reveals it, to run after it hardcore, you know, 100% where he's led. That's what a holy ambition looks like. It's like when I see the direction that he wants me to go, I'm not taking my eyes off of that prize because I can trust where that destination is going to lead. I can trust that the fruit that comes out of that obedience is not going to lead to death and destruction and disorder, but it's going to lead to peace, satisfaction. I don't have to prove myself to anyone. I don't have to determine my worth by what connections I have or what conferences I have attended or how many letters are after my last name, but in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who loved and gave himself for me, that's where my identity lies. That's where my strength lies. That's where my confidence lies. And so I have peace. We have a saying in our home. I don't know if you have little family mottos in your home. One of our funny little mottos in our home is that there's no can't in Duncan. Get it, right? Very catchy. No, can't. There's not. You can't make one in there. And, you know, you, you start something like that. You know, your child experiences a challenge maybe for the first time, and they want to give up, right? They want to give up before they actually see the benefit of working hard through something. And you're like, no, just, we don't give up in this house, okay? There's no can't in Duncan. But I pray and hope that there is at least one can't in Duncan. And I said, we can't move. We can't change unless he leads us to that change, unless he leads us to move. We go where he directs. We have that expectant humility waiting. God, your plan is better than any plans that we could put down on paper. And we're going to go where you want us to go. We want you to do what, what you would have us to do, no matter like who knows about it, because God, you know about it. And most first and foremost, we want your name lifted high. 
We want people to, we don't, I don't want people to see me as elevated. I want them to see you as elevated. You are a good God. That's a holy ambition. It's bringing heaven to earth. That's sowing truth, peace with man. When a godly wisdom governs a godly ambition, there's godly fruit. Surprise, right? Peace. Remember, the wisdom I believe will be seen in the fruit that I leave. If you want to see different fruit this morning in your life, you've got to live by a different wisdom. And God's the only one that can lead you in that. As you look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith from Hebrews, he will lead you to that. What is the fruit of your life saying about the wisdom you live by this morning? Do you need to surrender your heart this morning to his wisdom in your life? Do you need to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ? Remember, that's the first thing you've got to get in the right place, right? Like, i got to surrender to him with my life and say, God, I can't save myself. I believe that Jesus did that for me. He paid for my sins. And there are many of us here today that profess that to be true, but we have lost sight. We've lost sight of that freedom, of that peace, and we've gone back into that old natural way of wisdom. So this weird like amalgam of things where I put faith in God in these circumstances, but when it comes to this area of my life, I need to trust my gut. Do you want to see that transformation this morning from disorder to peace? Surrender that ambition. Trust God's plans, wait for his timing, wait for his provision. And we read earlier, Mark 8, 36, it says, you know, if, if a man uh, will gain the whole world and forfeit his soul, you know, what is it good for? The verses before that are so awesome. They say, if anyone would come after me, this is Jesus speaking, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, guess what? save it. Godly wisdom is a wisdom that follows. How will you respond to the x-ray of God's word this morning as you look into your heart?